Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Uh, Grab your Bible and let's jump in at Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're finishing a sermon series today that we've called Audacious Prayers. All right, Audacious Prayers. And we're studying actual prayers of the scripture uh, that, that... People prayed that were just, man, audacious, remarkable, amazing prayers. And we're learning from these prayers. And we're really kind of sitting in the background of a lot of these prayers and, and understanding what was happening that caused someone to pray in such an audacious way. We're, we're thinking about Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where the Lord's like, hey, I want to give you immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. Right? And if God wants to give us immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, we ought to ask him for it and watch him do more. And I, I don't know about you, but I can, I can dream up a lot of things that I'm praying for the Lord to do. And, and if he wants to get, grant those things, man, how do I take hold of that? And so that's what we've been wrestling with is how do I really take hold of the Lord so that he would do, man, incredible things through our, live, our lives. And, and so it's been encouraging these last few weeks just to kind of drop some anchors in of like, you know, God, like, search me. You know, God, God, heal me. Like all these things that we've been asking the Lord of, and today, we really want to ask God to use us. God, use me. How, how can I serve the Lord and be used of God in, in ways that, um, man, I, we can't even imagine? Nehemiah is an interesting place to look because Nehemiah is rich with biblical history. It, it's also an average everyday person. Like, Nehemiah is not a pastor, he's not a priest. He's not involved in the religious structure of the day. Sometimes we begin to think if God's going to use us, we, we've got to have some position in the church or some, hold some power on some committee. But, but Nehemiah was none of those things. He, he was actually living in exile. He, he wasn't uh, a part of the majority culture there where he was living. And we'll understand that to be this capital city in the Persian Empire. Like, like Israel had been destroyed by the Babylonians and people had been scattered. And Nehemiah was scattered, but yet Nehemiah found himself rising through the ranks. The favor of God was upon him, and God was blessing his life. He was, pros- he was, he was prosperous in all that he did. He, he, he had a great life, but yet he was, he was in exile. He wasn't home. And so there was this yearning inside of Nehemiah that, that God was going to use to advance God's purposes through his life. Like, like, see that picture? Like, it starts with, with this, this unsettledness with the status quo. It starts with this, this man, I really want to, to do something and see something different. And then God took Nehemiah where he was and ordained his steps and his opportunities so that he might be used to further his kingdom. And so we can see in this and learn from this today how God wants to use every single one of us from right where we are from our place of employment, from our home, from our friendships and relationships. God wants to use us to advance his purposes. Stand with me, let's study together. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakiah. So how do you know how to say that? I don't. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. 
And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you night, day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of, of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. They give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So Nehemiah, he was prospering in exile and he found himself in the position of cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer was the person that was charged with tasting the king's food and drinking the king's drink before the king would have it. And that day, one of the common tactics of the enemy was to try and poison the king. If you could destroy the king, you could overtake the kingdom. And, and so there was one who was assigned, and it shouldn't surprise you that it was a foreigner in exile. It was someone who had been conquered, so to speak. They would put in this role so that if they would drink of the drink and it was poison, they would die. They would eat of the food and it was poison. They would die and it would never make its way and be served to the king. But what we begin to understand in Nehemiah chapter 1 is Nehemiah refused to kind of just be sorrowful over his state of being in exile. But instead he made a decision that he was going to leverage his position. He was going to leverage the good and the bad. The bad of being in exile. The good of the prosperous life he'd found in exile. He was going to leverage all of those things so that Jerusalem could be restored. Now his heart broke for Jerusalem. He was weeping over Jerusalem. He he was grieved that Jerusalem was still in shambles. And so if you remember back in your history, like, you know, King, the Babylonians came and destroyed all of Israel. They overtook Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. Like, everything was gone. And, and later, about 100 years before Nehemiah was writing, people began to go back. They began to go back, and they first rebuilt the temple. Ezra writes about that. You can read about that in his book in the Old Testament called Ezra, all right, and so like you, you can see like the story of rebuilding the temple, but, but Nehemiah was concerned with the city. He was concerned with the walls. He was concerned with the gates because in that time for a city to be considered legitimate, it had to have walls and gates. The walls were guarded. It was for protection. The gates were a place of great commerce and influence, and so Nehemiah's dream was a 
healthy, prosperous Jerusalem where people worshiped God that was protected by people and there was this, this healthy commerce. He, he was dreaming of this healthy place again. And that all symbolized this, this idea of God's faithfulness to his people. When, when Nehemiah is begging God to restore Jerusalem, he's really begging God to, to make his name great on earth again. In Nehemiah's mind, as long as Jerusalem is in shambles, the name of God is in shambles. And so his hope was that something would happen, that God would make his name great on the earth again by reestablishing his city of Jerusalem. And so with that understanding, he, he hears this report and he begins to realize that if God was going to move, that possibly God had positioned Nehemiah as the one to advance his purposes. And we begin to understand some principles that we can learn from if God's going to use us and allow us to serve him for his purposes. First, notice with me in verses one through three, if, if we really want God to use us, we've gotta be convicted. Like we gotta be people of conviction. We gotta be convicted. When Nehemiah heard this report, like he was greatly troubled. He, he, was, he was overwhelmed with grief when he heard this report. Like this, this was not something he just thought, oh well, like I'm just going to go on about my business. No, like this, this stopped Nehemiah. He, he didn't like what he had heard. He was thinking like, like what are we going to do here? But, but understand like he's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's got no role in this religious system. All he has is his love for God and his care for his people. Why would Nehemiah care so much for his people? Well, because Nehemiah believed in the faithfulness of God and, and he developed these personal convictions about what should be so based on what God had said all throughout the scripture. Like at this point in time, Nehemiah would have had the first four books of the Old Testament. He would have known of the faithfulness of God. He would have understood sin's curse upon the earth and he would begin to recognize how God wanted to be worshiped. And so this wasn't like Nehemiah just trying to find his way to God. Like it was very clear like what God's purposes were and what Nehemiah desired is for God's purposes to be accomplished on the earth. This was the foundation for his convictions and this is the foundation for all biblical convictions. What, what a conviction truly is, it's just an anchor. Like it's, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's an anchor. I'm, I'm convicted as I'm so convinced that I'll stake my life and reputation on this fact. And for Christians, we're called to have biblical convictions. That means we're anchored to the word of God. Like it, people say all the time, like, well, Christians are so narrow-minded. We are, we're, we're narrow-minded because we are, we are bound by the scripture to accomplish God's purposes. Like, like understand, like when you choose to become a Christian, when you're a Christ follower, what you're saying is that I surrender my life to Christ and I will live out according to Christ's teachings how to interact in the world around me. So often we, we kind of think, well, I just grew up Christian. No, like you cannot be Christian and live your own way. Like it's impossible to be a Christian and not hold the biblical convictions. But people say, well, I just, yeah, I'm just not really certain I agree with all of that. It's not about whether you agree with what's written in the scripture. It's about this is God's word for us and we submit to it. Like that's where our convictions are found. 
I mean, there are things in the scripture I'm like, man, I wish that would have been written a little different or could that have been changed? No, it, it's not up to me. This is God's word and our convictions are built as we anchor to his truth. So it's very common today to think, well, I'm just going to take the parts I like and don't accept the parts I don't like. But that's not being Christian. Being Christian says I'm so convicted by truth that I take it all. And what Nehemiah was showing us is some real convictions about what Jerusalem should be and how he wanted to work to accomplish those things. You see, personal convictions, they reveal a lot about who a person is. Personal convictions, they, they keep us from being swayed by the opinions of others. They, they keep us from falling away from true faith. They, they keep us out of wishy-washiness and indecisiveness. Like What true convictions do is they anchor us to Christ through the word. Listen to what the wisdom writer said in Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, 26, the scripture says, whoever trusted his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Wisdom writer also say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so if I want to have wisdom and I've got to be convicted on some things, those convictions that shape me are convictions that say, man, God knows and I don't. So I live according to his work. And so we begin to understand, like, what, what Nehemiah is doing here, he's going like, like, hey, like, the condition in Jerusalem is not acceptable. While the exiles have been back there for 100 years, like, enough was not taking place, and he was convicted that the name of God should be great again in Jerusalem. And he wanted to do whatever it took to make that happen. That's why the rest of the book is spent describing, like, all that he went through to go back and rebuild the city. But don't miss this as we think about being a person of conviction. Like, like Nehemiah was just in the citadel. He was just in the palace in Susa. He was at the place he was supposed to be. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. It was a normal every, like, every day. Like this was a, a simple day. And all of a sudden these brothers from Judah arrived. And he inquires of the condition of Jerusalem. And God changed everything. Friends, this is how it happens. Like when you live lives of conviction, you're ready for God to use. And when God determines it's the right time, he brings before you an opportunity that can only be from him. And if you're standing on convictions, you're ready to walk through what God has called you to do. Like, like personal convictions are what prepare you to be used of God. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So like this conviction of like, like Nehemiah going like, like God, how are you going to do this? This humbleness that he's saying, I'm going to carry out my work and I want to be used of you. And God now at the right time elects Nehemiah to accomplish his purposes. One author wrote it like this. He, he, said, he said, like large doors, he said, great life-changing events swing on very small hinges. And, and so many times we're trying to do this big thing so God might use us. We're trying to create this massive opportunity so that God might get glory. But many times it's the very small hinges that God is going to build in us so that he can do a deep work in us. It's just the, the foundation of conviction 
that God might open a door that you could do and be used of him in ways you've never, ever imagined. I mean, this is what God has done all through the scripture. Like, think about Moses. Like, it was just a Every day, a normal day, when Moses went out to care for his sheep, he saw the burning bush and God called him to be a prophet. Like he was just going out his day. You think about David. Like David was tending the sheep. He was just out in the field and Samuel came over to David and anointed him king of Israel. Like just an, an every day. You think about like Peter, James, Andrew, and John. They were mending their nets after a night of failed fishing. And Jesus came to them and said, Father, may I make you a fisher of men. Like these are just guys going about their day that now Jesus is going to call. Friends, if you want God to use you, you've got to have some convictions so that you will be ready when God opens the door of opportunity for you. Second, notice with me in the passage, you've got to be clean you got to be clean. Be convicted, be clean. So what Nehemiah does in verse 4, he, he goes to the Lord. Like It would have been easy for us to expect Nehemiah to get busy working. It would have been easy for us to expect Nehemiah to just kind of have this outburst of like, this should not be, and we're going to go fix it. But he, he's weeping, he's mourning, he's fasting, and he's praying. One of the reasons why I love the book of Nehemiah so much is it opens and it closes in prayer. Well, what Nehemiah is expressing with how he even writes his book here is like, hey, like, like this is all dependent upon the Lord. Like it, none of this is possible except by God's presence. And so he begins to pray this prayer in, in verse five through verse nine. And it's this, this prayer of confession to the Lord. He, he starts with getting clean before the Lord. He understood if God wanted to use him, he had to get where he could hear from the Lord. Like, do not be confused today. What sin does is sin separates us from God and it dulls our heart's attentiveness to the voice of God. Like that, that's what it is. Like, like, you know, a lot of us I know are fighting colds and things this time of year and your head gets all congested and it feels like you're wearing earmuffs all the time and it's just like, it's even hard to hear from time to time. And that's what sin does in us. It makes us so we cannot hear the Lord. We can't understand him clearly. Like we become in such a fog. Now, now it's a mirage, like the, the fog that sin brings is a mirage that makes us think, man, we're living a great life. But when I really get clean before the Lord, I recognize that what sin has promised is nothing compared to what God has done. And, and many times we, we get infatuated with the fun of sin. But let me just tell you today, like the purity and holiness of Jesus is so much better than any fun sin can promise. Like you're thinking in a fog when you're living in sin. And Nehemiah's like, like, hey, like I'm confessing my sin and I'm confessing generations of sin. Like he's, he's actually going back here and he's like, hey, like our people, my people have sinned against you. Generations have sinned against you. Like notice here, he doesn't use the pronoun they, like this is all their fault. This is the, the people who were overthrown by the Babylonians. This is all they're doing. He's saying we, we, we. He's taking responsibility for his sin. And he's even taking responsibility for the sins of his people. Now, let, let's, let's pause here for a moment because we got to bring some clarity to this because there's a lot of cultural narrative that goes on in many of these ideas. Like in Nehemiah 1, particularly in this prayer, while Nehemiah is not a priest, he's functioning as a priest. 
He's standing in the gap on behalf of his people. People who are living in sin and might not even realize they're living in sin. He's standing in the gap and he's functioning as a priest and he's asking God that God would forgive Nehemiah and he's asking God that God would forgive the people who rebelled against God and are now far from God. Like th this is common throughout the Old Testament. You can think about the Jewish soldier Achan. When, when Achan sinned at Jericho, God said that the children of Israel committed a trespass and that Israel's sins and their transgressions, that, that they were breaking God's law, according to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, and that God's hand of blessing would no longer be on the people of Israel until they dealt with the sin of Achan. And so they had to go through this like, like corporate time of confession and repentance to deal with Achan's sin so they could have the blessing of God again and then continue to advance in the promised land. And time and time again, we see these like, like one person taking responsibility for a nation's sin. It's a priestly function. Now here's what you need to understand. We do not live in that day. Jesus is our priest. And since Jesus is our priest, he stands before God and he advocates on our behalf. And so we don't have to function like this today. Like it's not my responsibility to go to God with your sin. It is your responsibility to go to God with your sin. It is my responsibility to go to God with my sin. And we go to God with our sin through Jesus Christ because he is our high priest. It's, it's fun for me. Uh, I have a lot of friends, many in, in our church who grew up Catholic. And there's this like almost natural response in people who grew up Catholic to want to come to me and confess their sins. And I'm like, bro, don't you load my wagon with that junk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm not your priest. And so they'll come and they'll even schedule appointments. It's like, Pastor, I just want to talk to you about my sin. And I usually say, oh, like, you talk to God about your sin because I can't do nothing with your sin, but God being rich in mercy, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to die in our place, and Jesus is the one that can take care of your sin. Like, Jesus is the one who offers you forgiveness, and Jesus is the one who offers you life. And so the idea of being clean for you and I today is that a prerequisite for God to use us is that we walk in holiness and cleanliness spiritually in the eyes of the Lord. How do I get clean? I go to Jesus. 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse me and forgive me of all unrighteousness. Look, man, you don't need a priest to get you to God. Jesus gets you to God. He is the only one who can actually get you to God. You can go straight to Jesus. You say, well, I don't know the right words. You talk to him like you're talking to your friend or neighbor. You say, well, well what about all my mess? He can handle your mess. He's not mad at you. He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he died to take the penalty of your sin. He died in your place. And he gives to you his life. So why would you try to get clean on your own when you could be clean in Christ? A couple days ago, my 15-year-old was at home and he said, Dad, what can I do to help? I said, well, you can wash the dog's. And he gave me that look like, for real? And I was like, they need a bath. 
So he went and he washed the dogs and he came in with the most exasperated look. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I washed the dogs. I'm like, great. They're in the pond. I was like, not good. You know, it's like, why didn't you get them out of the pond? He's like, I tried, but they're in the pond. And he was so frustrated because he understood all his work was for naught. A dog doesn't understand what it's like to be clean. A dog actually loves the filth. Have you ever noticed when you wash your dog, he goes and rolls around in the grass and in the mud and the dark? Like, hear me now. The imago day in you, like God's mark in you, what makes you unique from every created thing, the soul he placed in you longs to be clean, but the sin you're marred in likes to be dirty. And what we must understand, like you are not like the dog who gets clean for a minute and runs to the pond. You are a child of the king who gets clean through Jesus Christ and is at peace and at home because this is who you're created to be. And this is how God uses you, man. Not when you're dirty, but when you're clean. And so get clean through Jesus that God might use you. And this was Nehemiah's prayer in verses 4 through 7. God make us clean. Third today, if you really want for God to use you, you've got to be convicted, be clean, be prepared. Be prepared. Verses 8 and 9. I think this is like one of my favorite parts of, of this passage because as Nehemiah is praying, he's like, hey, remember? And he begins to quote scripture about what God has promised. Now, he's not reminding the Lord. He's honestly reminding himself. <laughs> And he's reminding the people who would hear and read this prayer that was going to be written down. Verse 8, remember the word you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I've chosen to make my name dwell there. Like, how could Nehemiah have hope in a hopeless situation? He knew the word of God and he could act upon it. Like the preparation for Nehemiah was hiding God's word in his heart. And the preparation for God to use you and me today is that there's more of Jesus in us than the world is in us. That we're so filled with the knowledge of the word, the truth of the scripture, that we're able to live and act in a manner filled with hope, not controlled by the chaos of our day. Like, Asking God to use you is a choice not to be sucked into the drama of social media or sucked into the drama of cable news, but to live convicted, clean, and prepared with our eyes fixed on heaven for the hope that we have in Christ. Like this is how God uses us. It's not that we get in everybody else's mess. It's that our eyes are so fixed on Christ because what we know that he has said will come to pass because he's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That there's never been a time that he has made a mistake. He's never failed and he will never fail. And there's never even a question about it because he's complete in every way. And so the hope that I have is that I can bring to bear what he has said on my circumstance and situation. You see, this is what being prepared looks like. It's not that we have all the answers, it's that we know who has the answers. Being prepared looks not that I've, I've got it all figured out, it was that I've given my life to who will be there at the end. And his name is Jesus, and he will endure. 
You see, verses 8 and 9 remind me of why it's so important that we, our hearts and our minds are filled with the Scripture. See, see, this world will assault us with temptations, with distractions, and with other plans that are outside the will of God. And the only way you're going to be prepared for God to use you and to be centered in the will of God is if you have hidden God's word in your heart and are able to call upon it in your moment of need. We, we love verses like 1 Corinthians 10, where the scripture talks about how, how no temptation that will overtake you that's not common to man and that God will give us a way of escape. Like we love this idea and we love this idea like, hey, God's not going to give me a temptation that's like, you know, unique to me and God's going to give me a way of escape from that temptation. What do you think the way of escape the Lord is going to give? He's not going to give you a way of escape that is dependent upon your ability and your willpower. He's going to give you a way of escape that is in accordance with his word. That's why his word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So I find my way of escape from temptation by relying on the word of God I've hidden in my heart so that I can apply it to the situation and recognize this is not the way. This is the way and I will walk in it. You see, what, what hiding God's word in your heart does is it gives you the ability to pull on the word of God and to live complete in the presence of God so that you're not chasing whims of culture. You're walking with your eyes fixed on Christ because he is the center of your life. This is how I'm prepared. And just like we recognize every Saturday, your preparation does not magically happen when the ball gets kicked off. Your preparation is revealed in the second, third, and fourth quarters. And for many of us, we've kicked the ball off well, but we're fumbling our way through the second, third, and fourth quarter of life because we're not hiding God's word in our heart. Friends, if, if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you're at grave danger for not being prepared when God wants to use you because you'll put it on autopilot and just go through the motions. Man, if, if you can't speak to what God's teaching you right now from his word, that should set off alarm bells in your soul that maybe you're not prepared. And one of my favorite things, my small group sits in this service, and they're always over here. You'll see me peek at them from time to time. Uh, usually I get a grade on the sermon during the sermon. Uh, but, but we're going through a book study right now as we're talking about prayer. And that, that study that we've been going through, man, has challenged us. Busy guys particularly. The, the girls meet. I don't know what they talk about. But when we meet, we sit outside and we talk about this book on prayer. And, like, it's challenged us. Because what we realize, man, all of us are super driven. We want to go. We want to go now. And this book's calling us to sit and be still and know the Lord. And, man, God's been wearing me out. And i got to show up every other Wednesday and let those jokers tell me how much they're learning and growing in the Lord. And God's wearing me out because I have such a hard time sitting and being still in the presence of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is God doing in me? He's teaching me to wait on him. And he's teaching me to be still in his presence. What's God teaching you? I'm prepared for God to use me as I hide his word in my heart and allow him to teach me no matter how long I've walked with him. Finally today, if you're willing to be used of the Lord, be convicted, be clean, be prepared, 
and be available. Be available. So now we get to verses 10 and 11. This is the crescendo of Nehemiah's prayer to the Lord. He's, he's celebrating the, the work that God has done, how God has redeemed by his power and his strong hand. And he's asking God to hear, asking God to, to bless, asking God to carry them. And then he gets specific and he's like, hey, hey, grant, grant him your servant mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. What's so interesting about verses 10 and 11, it's, it's that it, Nehemiah seems to have started asking God to do something. And now he finishes with realizing God is asking him to be the one to carry this out. And if you continue in Nehemiah chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll see that Nehemiah leveraged his position as the cupbearer to go to the king. That's why he's asking for mercy in the sight of this man, in sight of the king, because he would go to the king and ask him if he could leave his position, that position that was highly valued and highly trusted, asking the king if he would pay for his transportation and for people to go with him. And not only just get him there, but also give to him materials to build the wall from the king's provision. And asking for the king to put his mark and his stamp, most likely his, his ring, like he would stamp the, the letter with his ring to give them passage through enemy territories so their, their name could be safe or their, their group could be safe. Like he's asking the king to put his reputation on the line for Nehemiah to carry out a project that's so important to his small group of people. Like this makes no sense if you're talking leadership structure and dynamics. Like this is not kingdom building for the Persian king. This is Nehemiah making himself available and God going before him and opening doors that he could not open. Like we pray that way. If you grew up in church, you'll pray that, you know, God opens doors that no one can open and, and that God closes doors that, you know, that, you know, no one can shut kind of things like, like God, God just does. That's, we pray these simple prayers. You know, we pray for like a hedge of protection, which we still haven't really figured out what that is. You know what I'm saying? Is that like a grove of bushes? That, like, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? So like we, we pray all these like, like simple prayers of, of like, God, do this and do this and do this and, and, and do that. But but this was so much more than that. This was Nehemiah saying, God, I'm not just asking you to open the door. I'm asking you to send me through it. Like you see from verse 1 to verse 11, an opening of Nehemiah's hands. As it was not someone else's conviction or burden to bear, it was his opportunity from the Lord. And what happens so many times for us in church life is we kind of become convicted about something and we begin to think, well, somebody ought to do something about that. And so we try to literally bring it to the church and say, the church ought to do something about that. Hear me now. If God is convicting you about something that is wrong in this world that needs to be made right, if God is convicting you about something that, that would bring his kingdom to bear on this earth, it's not that you need to pass that off to somebody else. The reason he's convicting you in it it's because he wants you to be available to it. And if you'll open your hands to it, he might fulfill his purposes in your life in it. See, we like to think, well, that can't be my calling. I'm an accountant. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Well, that can't be my, call, my calling. Like, like, like you know, I, I have a business to run. He was a cupbearer and an exile. That can't, be, that can't be what God wants. That's gotta be what God wants for somebody else. That can't be for me. I'm raising kids. He was a cupbearer in a distant land Separated from his family. Well, that, that can't be for me. I'm retired. 
Like it's the trump card. Nehemiah was saying, this is not right according to the scriptures. So he got low and clean so he could hear clearly. He got prepared with the word of God so he would have cover and armament for the journey. And he recognized the reason that God put it on his heart was so that he would fulfill it from his position. So maybe the reason why so many of us have been so unsettled for far so long is because we want God to use us, but we've never made ourselves available to the Lord. And we're just unhappy and unsettled in our work. We think we're bored in our occupation when the truth is we haven't fulfilled our calling. Some of us, we think, man, I just, I just can't get it right. I can't get it going. It just seems to never work out. I'm telling you, man, if the Lord is putting some convictions in your heart, if you'll get clean so you can hear him clearly, if you'll be prepared by hiding his word in your heart and make yourself available to God, God will use you from wherever you are. And when you're used of the Lord, you're most fulfilled. I was just thinking in between services of my life and my story. Like this played out in my life. I graduated high school thinking I wanted to be a football coach. Y'all remember those days? And I went to that state, the University of Lower Learning. <laughs> went to Alabama and my grades stunk. My relationships were bad. I wasn't in a healthy place spiritually. And I met a guy at a church. I've told you this part of the journey before. And began to sit with me and disciple me a little bit. And that call of the Lord that I'd neglected from about my junior year of high school because I wanted to play football started to kind of renew in me. I transferred to Sanford University. I got going in the calling of God in my life, and all of a sudden, everything came into alignment. It's amazing when I think about it. My grades came up. I didn't even have to study as hard. Why? It's because all of a sudden, instead of running from God's call, I surrendered to God's call. And when I made myself available to the Lord and began to understand his call in my life, he aligned my steps and I found purpose, I found meaning, I found fulfillment. And one day I got to become your pastor. And look, I'm not trying to say that when you make yourself available to the Lord that he's going to call every one of you to ministry or mission. He's going to call some of you to that. But friends, ministry and mission is not a position in the church. It's a role you receive from the Lord as a disciple of Christ. You're a minister of the gospel. You've been given the message of reconciliation. You may do that in hospital scrubs. And you may do that as a homemaker at your home raising kids to the glory of God. You may do that as a retiree or you may do that as a business owner. 
And as I reflect upon God's faithfulness in my life, and that's the only way I know that he will be faithful to you is because he's been faithful to me. But as I reflect upon his faithfulness in my life, I'm just telling you, man, when you will align under his way and his will and have some convictions, get clean to hear his voice, get prepared by hiding his word in your heart and make yourself available, you will be fulfilled because that's what he does. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.